Hello, friends. I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. JP, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Man, I'm good. Hey, can I show you the funniest thing (laughs) I've seen on the internet in the last two weeks? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, So this is a video that swept the internet. Uh, It's a guy. He's, I don't know if he's a preacher or whatever, but he's in front of a church and he's getting ready to lead this prayer. And and this is how it goes. Um, Before we begin, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Heavenly Father, our hearts... (laughs) are made ready to hear the truth, to be stimulated. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I I'm I'm astounded <laughs> that he kept going. And I just if I had used the phrase heavenly farts in front of my church, Ooh. I I would have been so embarrassed, but he he keeps going is what amazes I, Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to. I think I just would have tagged someone else, you know, passed the baton of the <laughs> prayer to someone else at that point. Oh, that's classic. That's, that's good. great. That's good. Well, hey, I'm excited about the person that you're going to introduce me to today. Yeah, uh, introducing you to another good friend of mine, uh, one of the most meaningful mentors of my life, Drew, actually. Today, I'm going to introduce, introduce you to Beth Stafford who lives in uh, central Connecticut. Uh, My wife and I have known her for 20 years. I remember I moved to the church where she's attended for a long time in 2000. I was the youth minister there and I was single and probably three or four weeks into my time there, uh, my girlfriend who became my wife, Beth, was going to come up to visit. And I remember Beth, Beth Stafford came up to me in the hallway of the church one day and said, Hey, I heard your Beth is coming to visit this weekend. She'll stay at my house. <laughs> and uh, which didn't sound like a command. It sounded like, oh, good, because I had to figure that out because I couldn't afford getting her a hotel room and obviously couldn't have my girlfriend shacking up at my house when I was the youth <laughs> minister, right? And this developed a pattern of when when my Beth would come up to visit, we'd, we'd both stay at her house just so I wouldn't have to commute. And they were so hospitable. And then in all the years that we've gone back to visit them, we always stay at their house. We refer to their house as, as the Stafford Inn. Ooh. And it's amazing. They'll have candy laid out, the mint on the pillow, the towels laid out, the coffee you like to drink. She's probably the most hospitable person I've ever met. I was thinking about this earlier when you read in the Gospels, Jesus, he would hang out with anybody from the hypocritical religious leaders who were toxic to the tax collectors that were corrupt to the prostitutes. He would hang out with any of them. And it was the sheer power of his love and just being with together that they would want to live differently. Hmm. And I've seen this for so many years now with Beth. She has this ability to create a hospitable space and just love you and embrace you in a way that doesn't say, I agree with every decision you've ever made in your life, (laughs) but kind of like this, no matter, no matter what I'm in your corner and I, I embrace you with the love of Jesus. That's awesome. And I've seen countless people just want to, want to live better and more holy because of this. A little bit more about her background. She's She'll refer to this in the interview. She's a lifetime social worker. She's the executive director 
of the Manchester Area Conference of Churches, which is a collective that churches in the area come together and they do various social service needs together, soup kitchen, homeless shelter, various things. And so, Drew, I can't wait to share this interview with you. I think you're really gonna gonna enjoy it. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, As I was listening to the interview and editing it, I was just sitting there, I was going, this sounds like a person who I could just sit and talk with for a long time and not feel like I had to be a certain way around her. I guess what I'm trying to say is she feels like she has a very non-anxious presence, which oh. I am all all about, all about. Every time I've ever walked into her house, she'll give me a hug and say, welcome home. Hmm. And I always feel completely at home when I'm in her presence. And I always, not only her presence, I always feel the presence of the Lord in that situation in a powerful way. So here's our interview. Well, thank you for doing this. I've been so uh, excited about chatting and, and hearing some of your stories. Why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about your background and your spiritual life? I was very fortunate to um, be raised in a church that loved God, my grandparents, my parents. I mean, I think the the saddest story I have with my father, I just begged him if I could go to a sock hop. And I told him, Dad, all they do is just put their shoes in a pile and they dance together. We, there's nothing wrong. And, and I remember my dad saying, "Hun, if they could do that with the lights on, I'd be happy. With, but I don't think anything good comes from being in the dark. <laughs> I took that, you know, later, I think my father had seen some things or knew some things and just didn't want me to go. He didn't judge anybody. He never acted like those are bad and these are good or whatever. It's just we're not going to do that. Well, I snuck off and went and I I was there five minutes with my girlfriend. We decided couldn't couldn't enjoy it at that point. So we went home. That was probably my biggest, you know, conflict. If that tells you anything about myself and uh, chose to be a Christian at 16 years old, Uh, Jimmy Allen had come to Flint, Michigan, and it was one of those meetings that I accepted uh, Jesus. I was 16. And um, so I've been a Christian for 50 years, believe it or not. And I believed everything I was taught. And I, my parents lived their faith in front of me. They never were different from churches. They were home. I had a strong family, uh, 50 or so cousins and the aunts and uncles, you know, went to church with me. They all went up. They all migrated to Michigan from Arkansas to work in the factory. Okay. And it was just a blue collar church. And you know, if someone thumped me for talking to church, I didn't ask, didn't think it was my mother. I just straightened up because it, whoever it was probably related. And um, they just, they lived their faith. And I, and as a child, I just felt very secure and very loved. And I knew who I was. It wasn't hard for me to be good. And over those 50 years, um, I've seen a lot. So I go to Harding, love Harding. And, um, I go home um, to see everybody, and once I'm 18, 19 years old, uh, one of our ministers uh, that I adored married my husband and I. Anyway, in class, he had made a statement. Back then, the big issue was divorce and remarriage. Mm -hmm. So in class, he had made the comment when someone said, uh, can divorced people go to heaven? He said... 
I don't know how you would unscramble scramble eggs. There wasn't an elder in the class, which usually was their tradition. Mm-hmm. So they were hearing, you know, a lot of people saying that he condoned it. Mm-hmm. So it even split the eldership. Mm-hmm. It split the church. So you can imagine, to my horror, I graduate and I come back and people that had watched me grow up, had cared about me, had been on all my sports, all my school, weren't talking to me. Really? And it was a church of about 800. We've been married there. Three, three or 400 people came to our wedding. I mean, this was huge to me. This is where I had hoped, you know, to come back and live. Uh, people screaming across the foyer about divorce and remarriage and people going to hell. And it was the ugliest time. And of course, here I am running up to people wanting to hug them because I hadn't seen yeah. them and they would turn away from me. Hmm. Um, they would say to my mother, you know, I know your husband, because my husband, my father was an elder mm-hmm. and I know your husband probably told you blah, blah, blah. And she said, she'd just stop him and say, look, however you're feeling about it, whatever side of this, my husband does not decide to wrap that up and gift it to me. You're telling me something I have not heard. Yeah. And they would call her liar and walk away. You know, yeah. it, it was just horrible GP. And, um, my uncle was an elder and my father and my uncle, he loved serving the church. Mm-hmm. And um, he just grieved over this and cried over this. So over the years, we dwindled from eight to four to two to they shut the door. And my uncle came up to me. Uh, they shut the door on a Wednesday night. And um, he said, where are we going to go on Sunday? And my dad said, well, we'll just have to work that out. John I, Lloyd, his name was Lloyd. He had a heart attack the next day and left us. Oh, my. And uh, I always felt as a child, you know, as a young woman, that God didn't make him make the choice where he'd have to go because that church was everything to him. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of devastated. And I went back to Harding for our last thing. And then my husband and I moved to Michigan for a short for a short term. And it never did feel never did feel right Mm -hmm. and I did you know but I think the big thing for me was I just never thought I would live to see people who loved me not love my parents screaming at them over an issue that no one uh, uh, the leadership hadn't even heard it was just the the, um, minister went on his way church went on this and like I said just split the whole church and um, closing that door was was awful JP, let me tell you what I hear in that section of the interview. I hear a woman who is grateful for the context in which she grew up. Mm -hmm. She grew up with parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins, all surrounding her, and life sounded pretty good. And I know that there are probably a few people listening to this podcast who are like, I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. That would have been really nice to have growing up. And to have all of that happen alongside a church context, I can see how that would make church a very appealing thing to be a part of. Yeah. But it doesn't always stay pretty and wrapped up for long. As she describes how she grew up, it's so warm and it's so affirming and it's almost nostalgic. And I I love it when she says, I felt secure and I knew who I was. (laughs) And we can all think of childhood memories with people that loved us and we're like, oh, this is who I am and the security that comes with that. And that's what makes it so hard 
when she describes how it falls apart. Yeah. And you you want to say it fell apart over that? Like it fell apart and when she describes it, it was a church of 800, 600, 400, 200 and then they shut the door. And you're like, "Wow, this one issue and this one thing and how this one comment was interpreted in a class at church and it just begins to unravel and you're like how can we do this to each other and what i hear in best narrative is the experience she had growing up that's the hospitality of the church of her youth that's the gift she wants to give other people the rest of her life yeah and the divisiveness that happened when she was in college and when she was a young adult that's the main thing she wants to avoid and never be so it's like those are the two options and she consistently throughout and we'll hear this coming up here in a second she leans into this idea that i'm gonna be hospitable and i'm committed to that atmosphere yeah i think we have to hear what we just heard Mm -hmm. and we have to remember that context when we hear what we're about to hear we're about to hear the story of walking through brokenness with people and walking through brokenness with people we have to learn to not hold that brokenness so tightly like it's the end all be all Mm -hmm. of our existence so um moving forward you know we come to um new england and i i felt like in michigan if you didn't like something there were so many churches you could just go you know i I thought that's probably what would happen when all that happened but uh, when you came out here i saw a different type of church Mm -hmm. and uh, you kind of had to work out your stuff because there's no place else to go yeah (laughs) you know it was there but i but i've lived long enough to see misconduct in um, ministers and youth ministers uh, some of it has affected my my personal family and my grandchildren but one thing that I go back for because of all that stuff and you think about these I guess I can entwine the beautiful <laughs> into this because even when those things happened and you just are kicked in the gut there was a mentor that told me Beth don't put your faith in men or women you love Jesus and that's why you're here and all of this will mend and that's never, that's never left me. And that's how I've been able to weather some of the stuff I've lived through. It's interesting how you say that. I actually had a conversation the other day with someone that was very similar. It's confessing some of these broken things in church life and how we wish it wasn't that way. And yet sometimes it's in the midst of the brokenness that you discover the beauty Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, would I have discovered this beauty if it hadn't been for the brokenness? And I'm not trying to do a pie in the sky romanticism or something like that. But that truth of I now know what it's like to trust in humans and to know how how weak that foundation is. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm discovering what it what it feels like and what it's like to truly trust in God mm-hmm. in a very different way than maybe how I once trusted in God. Right. So how the, the beauty and the brokenness can be connected. No, you're, um, that's exactly right to me. And, um, you know, someone said, uh, the minute we walk into church is broken. <laughs> we are, you know, and, but I think the beautiful is that people come alongside, you know, come alongside you when, when it's Jesus you're in love with, 
men and women are going to disappoint you, but they're not going to, they're not going to yank you out of the church. And that's where I have seen a lot of those issues. I had a friend, a very good friend uh, in church who left her husband and thought that she wanted an alternative, um, alternate life with uh, women. Hmm. And she said, you're going to hate me. You're going to leave me. You won't love me. And I don't know. I really believe that this mentor, whatever that I believe in the relational so deeply that I said, it won't be me that leaves. You won't stay Mm -hmm. and and work this out. And she said, no, you, you won't. And do you know that I got to live long enough to have that friend come back and say, left that lifestyle, came back doing beautifully in her, you know, she's worked it out. And she said, you told me you wouldn't leave and you didn't. Mm. We never got to talk after that, you know, that time because she left. Mm. But I said, it won't be me leaving you. You won't be able to face me. And I got to see her come back. Another woman um, left the church out of a bad marriage, angry with uh, angry with the church and whatever. And I would just send her notes every now and then. I didn't know if she received them, if she threw them away or whatever, because there was no communication. Years, years down the road, she came back to church and she, she said, you were always kind. Mm. And um, so you don't know what was those what were those pivotal points with enough people loving on them to know that they can come back in. You know, that you don't just shut the door and say, I'm done with you. Mm-hmm. I've always thought you should keep people on the membership list so you could contact them. <laughs> you, know, you know, like <laughs> So, um, so I've lived, I've lived through those, you know, but I'm still there, still believe in church, mm. still believe we're trying to do what Jesus wants. I've learned, I'm in, this is my own maturity. I pray more and give my opinion less because I think, you know, when someone says something out of me, I really feel like I can, I kind of need to talk to God about that. Mm-hmm. And the pause is beautiful. You know, you can hug that person and say, I know you're dealing with that. And I'll be praying, you know, I'll pray over that or I'll pray with you over that instead of giving them the um, rules. I guess that's the rule book. And usually something beautiful comes out of that. The difference between giving somebody a relationship versus rules and uh, saying, you know, I could give you my opinion, but maybe right now I just need to spend some time with you. Mm -hmm. Some things just leave it up to being able to just leave some things up to the Lord and not feeling like we have to be the arbiters on everything. Absolutely. I just don't know if there's anything better than just to be heard without, you know, advice. And I think there's so many things like in life and in our spiritual life um, that are like that. You know, we can go to the letter of the law or we can go letter of the grace. I would rather err on the side of relational than err on the side of rules. JP, as I think about our podcast and what you and I are trying to unapologetically defend, Mm -hmm. the beauty of the church, I think there are people that look at church as a whole and they say, that whole system is broken. Yeah. Well, if the whole system is broken, how come it hasn't fallen to pieces yet? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of women like Beth Stafford here that churches hold together. Women who say, I care more about our relationship than I care about right versus wrong. I care more about sitting here and sitting with you in whatever brokenness you experience than I care about 
the doctrine or theology of this church as a yeah. whole. I think it's it's something that should not be missed in this conversation is that she cares about people so deeply. And to me, that's why people stay a part of churches because they have people like Beth yeah. in their lives. I've listened to this interview multiple times and I just keep taking notes on it with all the nuggets she put in there. And the overarching theme to me is just relational hospitality, wherever she is and whoever she's talking to, she wants to be hospitable to them. This quote, when she was told by a mentor, don't put your faith in humans, but in Jesus and all this will mend. So if you really believe that, then you referenced the non-anxious presence earlier. So if you really believe, I'm not going to put my trust in humans, I'm going to put my trust in God, and this is going to work out, it suddenly frees you not to have to figure everything out. Yeah. You just get to love people. Right. And so she never carries the burden in a relationship or in any type of setting. She never carries the burden of, I've got to figure all this out. Rather, it's, how can I love this person well and be hospitable to them? And that that story of... The woman said, you told me you wouldn't leave, and you didn't. And when she says, I've learned to pray more and give my opinion less. I've got chills just as you said that again. Drew, I don't do that well. Right. (laughs) I pray that I can grow into that, Um, and and maybe that's that's the wisdom that comes. But then when she says towards the end, I'm going to err on the side of the relational. And going back to Jesus and the Gospels and when Jesus interacts with people, He was not going to play their games about all the rules of Sabbath. And it wasn't that he was a lawless type of person and didn't believe in right and wrong. It's just he wasn't going to play their silly games about the Sabbath. He was going to be hospitable. And she's just one of the best examples I've ever seen about that. Uh, The more time you spend around women like Beth, the more people like Beth are going to start popping up. Uh, And I think we're going to start hearing some stories about that, about the longer you spend in this relational first mindset, the wider your impact is gonna be across the kingdom. So Beth is gonna tell us about her longstanding ministry at the church that we were both a part of for a while. And then she's gonna tell one of my favorite stories and it's true because I saw it with my own eyes. She's gonna tell the story of Miss Amy and you'll love that. I want to ask you about something, you know, years ago when we were a part of the same church, um, I have vivid memories of the classroom where you had your ladies class (laughs) because it was always well decorated (laughs) and and various things and women would just pack in there. And it struck me as I would watch people go into that room that, um, there were a lot of people that were hurting pretty bad that were being drawn to what was going on in that room. And looking back on that, I wonder how much of that was a reflection of what your vision of what the church should be uh, in terms of a safe home for some of those women. But just, if you don't mind, tell me, kind of a few thoughts of what you were trying to accomplish with, with that atmosphere and and maybe some of the things that happened there. Um, I don't know that if I mentioned, but uh, what what I get to do for work for the last 20 years is in a social work setting. 
and uh, working with basic needs like a homeless shelter and food pantry and soup kitchen, that kind of thing. So I'm a social worker to my core and God has allowed me to see things and feel things. I believe that drew me to that. I mean, I thought I would go to the Peace Corps and ended up going into my husband's core, but I, but I have that heart and always have, I, I feel uh, people and one of, I guess maybe a, a slightly broken on the top of beautiful would be in that class. Satan likes to get to use each. He loves to have Christians beat up on each other. Yeah. If he can get a Christian to deflate another Christian's vision or passion, He's over in the corner, just jumping up and down. And even in that ladies class that you talked about that started in my home 22 years ago. Wow. We started in my home with three women and it grew to about eight or nine in the home and got too big for it. We just had a little cape. So we asked the church if we could move it to the church and we did on Sunday and Wednesdays. And then it grew into, I think the biggest class before COVID was 35 or 40. And uh, my vision for that was that you could bring your brokenness. You know, I think church is a hospital. <laughs> you know, that we're all we're all wounded and bleeding. But I remember just coming home and feeling like, what am I doing? It's a joke. Mm-hmm. And my husband saying, "Do you believe in it, Beth? Are you helping people? Do you? Is that your perception of those women?" I said, "No." He said, "Get back in there." Some something's working right or they wouldn't be coming. And, you know, the next class I did was I brought Band-Aids and I asked them, pretend that you put a Band-Aid wherever you hurt or you've hurt others. Oh, it wow. was the most powerful thing to watch some women have Band-Aids across their mouth, across their hearts, across their arms, across their hands. If they hit someone or or they felt they'd been abused or abusive. And JB, I'll never forget that. We look like a war room with just the band-aids and that, and I said, well, that's what Jesus takes away and is forgiven. And we need to look at each other and be able to say we're broken, that we're doing our best and whatever. And one woman shares something so sad in her background. Then you heard this very, very quiet in the corner. Me too. And it grew me too. You know, then when I saw that, Remember the, uh, I think it was about domestic violence, Me Too, or, you know, the, oh, yeah. remember the Hollywood? I yes. thought we had experienced that in a very small room because, because relational takes away those fears of sharing what hurts. And I've seen some of the most powerful women come out, come out of horrific backgrounds to serve and love and show up. And there wasn't a need in that room that was dismissed. And they knew it was kind of like Las Vegas. What stays, you know, what goes here stays here. <laughs> you know, and we said, we said, you know, we need if we're going to be honest, we need to be protective of each other's, you know. But it was powerful to me, and I still some of those relationships from that class are what has held me up when I've had disappointments and um, things happen in my family. When we when we're hurting. And we're looking for a place to go with our hurt. There's always, we're always kind of feeling the room out. Like, <laughs> is this a place where I can share and still be respected? Mm-hmm. Or if I'm vulnerable, <clears throat> is vulnerability going to be seen as weakness? 
and back to that idea of the beauty is found sometimes in the brokenness, this idea of authenticity and vulnerability is a powerful thing. It's not a weak thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and reframing that as a strength and not, not something that's weak mm-hmm. is really powerful to me. Do you mind telling the story of Miss Amy? Oh, yeah. This is one of my, when I think of just beautiful stories, uh, this is one of my favorites. Amy uh, lived across the street from our church and had been raised in what here out here in New England is called um, the United Church of Christ. And when she was getting a little older, she didn't feel like driving. She was in her 80s and didn't feel like driving across town. And so she saw Church of Christ. So she assumed that was, you know, good enough. Oh, yeah. So um, she came over and she met my husband. She said, uh, she told him who she was. And so she came to class and I had happened to, she, she told my husband, you won't remember my name. <laughs> and he said, yes, I will. So sure enough, she came the next week, came in. She goes, do you remember me? And he goes, no, I can't remember your name, but I'm going to get somebody who will. <laughs> he came and got me. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that she was in, in love with Scott. She loved me, but she was in love with Scott. One day she fell, and I had given her a Bible with our name in it, um, and she had fallen on the street. And when the uh, rescue people came, the police and all, they said, um, what do you need? Because she had broke her leg or something, something like that. And she said, just take me to the church. I mean, literally steps away. She didn't go back to her house. She came over to us. And she said, get, this, get the people in this Bible. And uh, they took it over and Scott, you know, of course, people knew Scott and they got him and he went and got her, brought her to our house and she spent the night and they've gone to the hospital, but they discharged her. And then in the middle of the night, it got worse and she had to go by ambulance to the hospital. It was broke. And so but she came back strong and started going to church with us. And then she always wintered in North Carolina. And she uh, cracked her sacral and she had to move out of her house. And um, so when I was over there, she goes, I haven't really planned for any other alternate house, but her bathroom was on the second floor. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I came home and told my husband and he said, you want to bring her home? (laughs) Can I just get you a dog? (laughs) Long story short, Amy comes and lives with us. And she lived with us for 12 years before she had two strokes that put her in a nursing home. And she would talk with Scott continually. And over time, again, relational, loved him. We got to see her baptized and got to be there with her when she when she did that. Church became her family. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wouldn't miss that for anything. She lived with you all for 12 years. And yeah. then remind me, how old was she when she passed? She was a hundred. She would have turned 101 that summer. Okay. So I thought I remembered she had yeah. hit a hundred. So yeah. from like age 88 to a hundred, roughly she yeah. lived with you all. Yeah. Wow. She, she couldn't believe people from the church. Yeah. You know, I, I got all these cards. People were, you know, she didn't be sick or she'd have this or whatever. She goes, why do they do that? And that's, and that just gave Scott opportunities to, teacher because she had been she went to church because that's what her family did but I don't think she ever felt like she had a personal relationship but yeah. she was a good person being morally right was good I mean, was important to her and then she saw church play out I think it's the most beautiful thing to see church play out 
that relationship she had with others invited her into that relationship. With yes. Yeah. Yes. She became the grandmother of the church. She just, it, she it really did become her family. Well, I appreciate you taking the time mm-hmm. to tell some of these stories. You mean a lot to me and Beth and the girls. And I know a lot to everyone here in Connecticut. A uh, lot of good memories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Thankful for um, all the ways you've let me process and think out loud and grow over the years. And I'm always, always have been a a safe person to do that with. So I'm grateful. Well, I adore you and you guys' room are still, your rooms are still ready. The the rabbits aren't in there? The rabbits are not in there. (laughs) You still have your rooms and we got room for the girls. So I can't wait for COVID to lift and you get out here and see us. I love that last part, Drew, when when she tells me that my room is ready there. (laughs) As I tell you, no matter if it all fell apart, I mean, if it all fell apart, I know I could get in my car and I could drive to their house Mm. and my room would be ready. I mentioned the rabbits there because there was one point where we would, when we would go back up there to visit, she'd have a room for us. And then Miss Amy, at this point in her 90s, is nearing 100 living in a room. And then granddaughter would be in a room. They were in a room. And then one room had pet rabbits. It was just like every nook and cranny of the house <laughs> was hospitality, even to the rabbits. And um, there's like five generations. You know, we'd go out to eat and you had people from my daughter, Nora, is probably two or three years old at this time. And then Miss Amy's approaching 100 and we're all going out to eat together after church. And it's just, it's it's always just amazing. That's the intergenerational uh, aspect that you talk about in your book about that's what makes church so beautiful is we've got all these generations that can interact and they they lived that well they do live that well that's awesome here's what i heard from beth throughout this whole episode hospitality has a huge impact and intentional hospitality goes a very very long way at my church right now we're doing a, a study and this past week we're talking about having a love relationship with God. And we're talking about how, you know, can this relationship with God be more than just warm feelings in our hearts? Like, can Mm -hmm. I have a real practical relationship with God? And I I read somewhere that someone wrote down, the kingdom of God is not advanced unless it uses real practical people. And Beth comes to mind. She says, I'm going to love you and host you and sit with you in real, personal, practical ways. And that's how I'm going to advance the kingdom of God. When we were a part of the same church, I she talks about her her ladies' ministry there and all the women that would that were a part of her group. Drew, we had women that would not have come to our church if not for this ministry. And they certainly would have stayed if not for this ministry. And it was this authentic space mm-hmm. where women going through untold type of things and to be honest you know us men would try to sneak in there every now and then and uh, <laughs> she would she 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 expressed all kinds of hospitality to, to men in other ways but when she tells that story of the band-aids and she goes it looked like a war room yeah. and you had women going around the room me too me too and she said this is what jesus takes away mm. i heard that is just 
an incredible gospel proclamation. And you want to say, I wish I had been in the room. I wish I'd been in the room. Yeah, when I first heard that story, I thought, imagine the healing that was taking place yeah. in that space and how so many women were being made whole again um, because of this idea that Beth came up with, with assuming it was her idea. Mm-hmm. Could have seemed silly at the time. I know yeah. I've had things where I walk into a room and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. But what God can do through that, that, that was just a beautiful story. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I got to introduce you to her. She's one of the most meaningful people of my life. Yeah, I'm grateful for it as well, JP. Uh, if you've listened to all of our episodes so far, you've heard us talk about people that we love deeply and people that we know think highly of church and what it can be. In a few coming weeks, some of the episodes we've got lined up coming up, we're going to dig into some of that brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, not every story wraps up as neatly as some of these stories that we've told. And there's going to be things that challenge us. We're not going to agree with every single thing that someone says, but we're trying to listen well because we think good things will happen when we do. Yeah. So we hope you stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this episode. JP, good to be with you. Good to be with you.